Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, it's been not too, too long, I think. I feel like it's been a short time. I have recorded a couple other episodes, but I thought I would release this one first just because it made more sense for me in terms of my own personal timeline. And so, yeah, you'll find out about that in a second. But just before we get into that, there's a few things for me to share with you. Um, Well, first one is just my own energy levels and whatnot. Like this week is awesome. I'm feeling so good this week after last week's... uh, rest and recovery week on my training plan with a consummate athlete if you're somebody was asking recently so anyways that's that's who's made my plan and um yeah by the end of two weeks ago i was feeling really run down it was really hard to to get out biking and podcast and do all these things and uh, I was really, really thankful to have that rest and recovery week last week, and it didn't mean I didn't train. It just meant there was less. Um, maybe there's only one or two rides, and the west rest was just you know get out and have some movement and do a little bit of a core workout. And I think I missed one of those too because it was very easy to get too busy. And now this week is just starting to build up phase again. So for the next three weeks, so I, I definitely know what's gonna. I'm starting to get the idea of what I feel like on week three as I work through, but that is just the way it goes. Um, Yeah, actually, uh, I talked about last podcast. I talked about my cold feet on my first fat bike ride. And, and what was really interesting was I think if I remember correctly, I mentioned it, I was wearing really good boots, but as I started to research and look into this a bit more, um, what turns out is even though cycling is very, very, um, an active sport, your feet don't really move much, right? And the only way to really get good movement of blood circulation in your feet is when your ankles are moving up and down, but that's not the way we ride our bikes. So, and our feet are stationary and they're typically on metal pedals, which are um, conductive. They conduce the heat transfer and whatnot, or the, the cold transfer in this case, or they sap the heat out of your body as it, as people often say. And uh, so I started researching into things, you know, looking at devices like electric heated insoles. It's probably the route I'm going to go because I get unnaturally cold feet, so I'd like to be comfy. Um, I looked at the heated socks, but for me, I don't know. I I just feel like socks are going to wear out too quick, and they're expensive. Uh, Heated boots, uh, completely not on the table. Neither are the big uh, 45 North ones that costs nearly 400 new. Even with any discounts I get, they're way out of my budget on that for sure. 
one thing I read that was really interesting was a, uh, it was called um, Vapor Barrier Liner Socks. So they're specialized socks that act as a vapor barrier so they don't breathe. But what happens is then if you wear them next to your skin or with just a very thin sock between them and your foot, it creates this area where the moisture from the sweat of your feet, ultimately, I'd say most people, will only sweat a certain amount, okay? And then your body stops the feet sweating. And so that creates like a, a moisture layer that warms up and it also stops the, the cold air from cutting through your boots. It's supposed to work really well. I think Gore-Tex socks would probably work also really well. And I think I have a pair from back in my army days. My brother mentioned he had them and I was like, you got to give them back. Um, so I should be getting those back towards the end of December. And yeah, so I was looking at that, but I did have a couple people reach out. So one of them is uh, one of my Patreon sponsors, Dave Whale. And uh, I'll just kind of go through a couple of things. So he said, use chemical hand warmers in your shoes. They work great. Um, I don't know how do how do you, my question there is how do you get them to stay on top of your foot or do you put them underneath? I guess you wouldn't want them under the sole of your foot. That'd be weird. Never wear more than one pair of socks. This is his advice, right? Two pairs decrease capillary cap, capillary circulation, and the dead air space with a single pair also conserves heat. Um, and I read that too that often if you have two pairs of socks, you can't go with the same size because if you have uh, like a large sock over a large sock, it makes it tight and then you start to lose some of the the self-warming heating benefits of your body merino wool number three of his is the first among wool and providing superior warmth now most of us probably know that merino is fantastic uh, my my lawn johns and uppers and bottoms are both merino wool now so yeah uh plastic bags in the shoes so that's exactly like the vapor barrier uh, on your feet. These keep the wind from stripping the heat from the feet in very cold Reed Canada with weather, which, uh, yeah. So, uh, number five, the old trick of using crumpled newspapers in the shoes in a heating emergency actually works really well and can be a no cost everyday solution. I've heard that before too. Um, same thing in your clothes, you know, if you're ever in the wild or I mean, if you're in the wild, you probably wouldn't have newspapers, but like leaves, uh, dried leaves, make a great insulating barrier, stuff them down all your clothes. You kind of look ridiculous, but it works. Number six, no cotton blends. Many wool sock manufacturers blend cotton into their wool socks. That's a fail. Any cotton content will destroy these socks' potential to keep your feet warm. So looking for wool socks, merino wool socks, uh, probably being one of the better ones. Alpaca wool. I heard that's really good too. Anyways, number seven, neoprene or rubber shoe covers. For those of us still riding toe clips and straps, there's neoprene covers that go over the clips. Yeah, most Canadians, I think, know about these. I have a pair of neoprene shoe covers. I think they're the Endura MT500s. I've had them for about eight years, and they're still going strong. Starting to get a little worn on the bottom, but not bad. All right, so that was from Dave. And then the second person that reached out and sent me something was a guy by the name of Doug Dunlop. And I believe, I'd have to go to his email, but I believe he lives in Western Canada, like Calgary. He does a lot of flat biking, and he has a website uh, which is his blog called coldbike.com so check that out and he has an article that was written in 2019 on december 20th so you can find it in the archives and it's called cold bike warm feet how to have warm feet for winter cycling and i was just kind of looking through that and it seems like there's a lot of really good content towards uh geared towards cycling in the winter so if you're out there and you're thinking about doing some winter biking check out coldbike.com that's a good plug for you there doug 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, on to the next thing. Um, something much more grandiose. I have put a ton, a ton of thought into this. And to lay out the issue, so I have the Bike Tour Adventures podcast and I have the Bike Pack Adventures website. The Bike Pack Adventures website is geared towards bike packing routes across, you know, Canada in general, uh, mostly Ontario, Quebec at the moment. I'm always down for more people to share routes. Um, for now, I'd like to just stick in Canada and kind of like show the world what we've got going on here. But yeah, I mean, really geared towards bike packing. But on it, I wanted to have a blog. And then I have the Grand Depart shared, and I have like various other events, and um, and then I have the podcast Bike Tour Adventures, and it had its own blog and videos and stuff from different adventures I've been on. But then ultimately, that led to having two Instagrams and two Facebooks, and has become a real, real headache. Not just in terms of maintaining the websites. Um, a lot of energy has to be put into keeping them things running smoothly. And I know mine aren't super fast because I think it also includes uh, the need to spend some money on, I don't even know which ones, but certain plugins. And and just making sure you're on top of the updates and whatnot. And then as well, social media. Now it's getting easier because you can automatically post across multiple accounts, but it's not ideal. So I've decided to do a complete rebrand uh, well, not complete, I guess. I'm going to stick with Bike Pack Adventures. I'm going to now call the podcast the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. It doesn't really take away from everything I've done in the last three and a half years. I think when I started the podcast, I was living in Cambodia. I just come off a bike tour, even though it was a short one. Um, all I had done was bike tours and the common sense of the name uh, at that point, even though most of them were like, really either really fast or really lightweight um typically as on a mountain bike a folding bike or a road bike with either a backpack or a little dry bag strapped to a rack or two mini panniers on my little the small or lead panniers on the front of my folding bike so i'd hardly say i was ever a traditional traditional bike tour but anyways when i started the podcast i predominantly interviewed bike tours and then slowly there was the occasional, you know, I think Jonas was in it as, a, you know, ultra endurance stuff that he does. And then I had a couple bike packers set up so their bikes are different. And I don't think it really mattered. It never, it wasn't a big deal. Um, since that time, bike packing has really grown. And I think that by branding that way, it's going to also put myself in the reach of a lot more people who are looking for the podcast or looking for something to listen to where they might come across it and go, no, no, I'm interested in bikepacking, not bike touring, not realizing that there's a lot of both types of content on my podcast. So yeah, after discussing it with a few people close to me and uh, within the cycling community, I, I just thought it's easier to, to kind of make it all one and the same. So I'm going to go with bike pack adventures podcast. And I've already redesigned the logo. Uh, I'm going to stick with the, what is it, cyan, the light blue colored logo. But I changed the bike vector image and I changed the words. So now it says Bike Pack Adventures and there's a bike packing bike. I didn't know how I would change it more for now, but I, that's kind of the idea I'm going with. 
And uh, from there, we're just going to keep doing the same thing we've been doing, interviewing bike tours, bike packers, bike pack racers, ultra endurance cyclists, and just keep trying to produce the, the content that you guys have enjoyed for these past uh, three and a half years. What else? Merchandise. I'm going to be obviously changing the logos on the clothes you can order. So just so you're aware. Yeah. So, I mean, you can still order some of the classic Bike Tour Adventures podcast clothes. Maybe I'll even leave it up there as two sections for those that uh, want that. But it's up to you guys. As for Patreons, I don't have any new Patreons in the last little bit. But there is something. Uh, one of my Patreons uh, had a post on his Strava, and I'm, I storied it on uh, Instagram the other day, but I wanted to read it out because it meant so much to me. It was really, really touching uh, to, to read and hear. And then after I posted it, a couple people commented, like not commented, but you know where they reply, and they say ditto and stuff. <clears throat> so here's his words. Also, huge shout-out to Chris Panaski of Bike Tour Adventures Podcast. It took three months, but finally got through the whole back catalog of episodes and impressed on several levels. One, not once did it seem unauthentic or formulaic. Two, never lost interest or wanted to listen to something different. Three, Chris's consistency and dedication. Four, the breadth and range of topics and personalities. Four again, but I think he meant five. The style is really informal and naturally yet imparts an abundance of knowledge, perspectives, and insight. Hats off. So I just want to say thank you. You know who you are. I really, really did appreciate the kind words. It, you know, really makes your day when you read something like that, um, that, you know, it took time and effort and thought to compose and put together. And, you know, that's care and attention, man. That's all what we all want, right? So thank you. And, um, yeah, so I actually gave him a phone call we had a chat and then he messaged me later and said it made his day. And it was just really nice. Cause, uh, you know, we're all cyclists. We all love to talk to one another, talk about bikes and gear and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to meeting you at some point this winter. And, uh, that is it. If you do like the podcast and you've been enjoying it for these past three and a half years at the moment, it's still patreon.com slash bike tour adventures but i guess eventually it'll change to bike pack adventures but you can find me there and you can join and subscribe and help out monthly and it goes a lot towards a lot of things and keeps this podcast going so thank you everyone and uh i guess uh to the intro song Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you will be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring and bike packing. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring or bikepacking and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. If you're already an experienced bike tourer or bikepacker, I hope that my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show and keep on pedaling.
Well, I guess I'm going to have to record, re-record that intro once again and uh, change the wording to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. But hey, it's just the way it goes. Uh, but for, I guess, this episode, it will stay like that because I haven't re-recorded that yet. So, say lovey. Anyways, in this episode of the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, I have a chance to talk with David Shellnut, the biking lawyer. Not just a lawyer, David has been a lifelong cyclist and has paired his job as a lawyer with his passion for cycling. In addition to being a cycling law and personal injury lawyer, David's also engaged in community-focused advocacy with the goal of bringing about systematic change to make the communities safer. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. It was something definitely a little different for me, but I, I really uh, enjoyed having a chance to find out more about what's going on in Toronto and um, yeah, how, how people can be more careful. All right, talk soon. Bye-bye. David, welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Um, super stoked to be here. Yeah, it's really good. I'm actually finally, you know, for people to know, uh, I've been following you for a while, seeing what's going on around where you're living, and um, and then finally had the chance to meet you at the uh, Hurton and Halliburton event. And uh, I think we saw each other on the on the route a few times, and and I know you were taking off a little bit early for some family <laughs> obligations and. So I'm glad to have um, you on the podcast. Yeah, totally. T- totally um, was nice to meet you out there uh, at, for sure, one of my favorite events. Um, and I think um, following uh, in the big shoes on your podcast of uh, um, and Halliburton organizers. So, uh, so <laughs> did you listen to it? Uh, not yet. I have like my podcast schedule for when I go to the gym and I'm uh, several weeks behind on going to the gym. So. <laughs> Things have been busy. So why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, or not necessarily a bit, but uh, just tell us about yourself. Tell us, uh, you know, where you're from, how where you grew up and all that stuff. Sure. Yeah, I am Southern Ontario, born and raised uh, out um, sort of Guelph area, uh, but grew up a lot of it in Collingwood. And that's sort of where I came into bikes um, by mountain biking and and being forced to road bike by my dad um, up there near Collingwood um, and uh, and then moved to London, Ontario for a bit and and cycled there um, and then uh, finally moved to Toronto and and put my bike away because I was like, oh, there's no chance I'm I'm biking down here. This is insane. Um, (laughs) And then it took an encounter with... uh, um, just like working downtown at a law firm, the, the transit was madness, you know? And, uh, and so I'm like, I, I really have to to cycle. There's no other way to get around this place. Um, and, uh, and sort of, that's how I came into what we're doing now. So, um, did you go to law school in Toronto as well? So you've been there a long time or? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I've been here for well over 10 years and was at law school at Osgoode Hall up at, uh, um, up in North York um, and some really great routes uh, up there, which I never did. Didn't know. Ah. Didn't know about it. So, uh, so, yeah. so before we get into all the bad aspects of uh, cycling in Toronto, um, well, actually before we even get into cycling in Toronto, tell us a bit more like um, Collingwood's near Blue Mountains, right? Exactly. So um, quite the mecca of cycling in Southern Ontario, I'd say. For sure. Like, Going up there now and seeing really how it's popping off um, in in so many different ways is is super neat to see because like 
this was like the early nineties when we were biking up there and and it just wasn't like, it wasn't as popular as it is now. So it's really cool to see that, um, you know, we were riding like hardtail mountain bikes and, uh, um, and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it's really come a long way. Yeah. That's wild. I remember like when I, I was also mountain biking in the early nineties, like mid nineties, around 94, 95. I think I bought my first proper mountain bike. And, you know, it was like Cannondale Super V1000. So it had like one inch of travel, maybe two inches, maybe at the, it was that monoshock under the stem. That's awesome. Or underneath the, uh, well, wherever, the, at the top of the forks and full suspension, but not crazy or anything. And that was just wild, you know, just different, different life. And now everything's you thought so you probably at that time, you're like, I'm on cloud nine. Oh, I had know? the best bike in my whole school. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, that's wild. And um, so Toronto, yeah, I guess there's got to be a lot of good aspects of cycling. And I'm, I'm hoping there's some good aspects of cycling in Toronto. Um, what it's, are, what could you add to that? To- totally. And like, I mean, aside from that commute and the, the transit catastrophe that sort of forced me into going by bike to work, it was like a way for an outsider like myself to explore the city and learn um Mm. uh, like learn learn it and see it um my best times um have been on bicycles in toronto you know um finding cool nooks and crannies or or biking down to kensington to ronnie's to have a pint on the patio or out to toronto island on the ferry um with friends you know there's just so much um so much to do and so much to see of it it the bicycle like makes a like somewhat inaccessible city um super accessible yeah and i think also like the the don valley has a uh, quite a bit of trails and i think it connects a lot of different parts of the city in terms of trails and riding as well um, for, for sure you know um it's like this and the people that bike in the don are really hardcore about it and so I hear it's incredible mountain biking. I've never gone down there. Like wow. I, this first thing I did when I was, I mean, I biked through there on the path, but yeah. I've never mountain biked. The first thing I did when I got to Toronto, is got rid of my mountain bikes. I'm like, you can't walk that thing up down here. Um, you know, you want to, you want a lean, mean, fixed gear bike to, yeah. to, to go from point A to point B and that you can leave outside for more than 20 minutes without it disappearing. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I had a, I had on the podcast a guy named Brooke Smith, and um, he created a route called Bang Bang, and it kind of starts in Toronto, and it's it's a it's a loop. And he said, "Yeah, you need a full mountain suspension bike for most of it." I'm like, "No way! Like that in Toronto? Like what are the odds? You know, like it just seems so out of place." But uh, I don't know. I guess you can. Uh, you that's that's uh, awesome. Yeah, I mean, like Bateman's bike bicycle shop has like a, a trail shop down there you know it's like uh pe- people eat it up oh that's wild yeah. um so yeah let's talk about toronto um what is like the state of cycling in toronto like how have how has the growth happened and what's what's going on there before continuing on with the show i'd like to thank panorama cycles for sponsoring this podcast Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. 
Over the past year, I've been riding the Chickshocks fat bike, the Katadin gravel bike, and the Taiga mountain bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra fat bike race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bikepack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, um, as everywhere, uh, when the pandemic hit that first year and a half, you know, we saw a cycling revolution um, across the province, right? Um, but definitely in the city, you, we got a ton of extra infrastructure. Um, you just saw more people on bikes. Um, it was safer COVID wise to get around. Um, people were like at home all the time. So they wanted to get out on bikes for exercise. Um, so you really just like saw and felt a palpable boom, uh, in the city. Um, and, uh, and it was awesome. And we, we had like periods of time where they would shut down whole streets um for for just cycling and and other vulnerable road users um and it was a really a really special time to be Mm. down here and was there this was there this sense that hey now that there's that many more people on the roads on bikes things are going to improve or get better yeah i i always thought it like i always thought of it like come on guys, give us an inch, you know, and like, we'll, we'll take a mile when we get, you know, when, mm-hmm. when we get that. Um, so, so it, it, yeah, I figured with more people on bikes and an awareness that like, this is a great way to get around for like healthcare providers and, yeah. and everybody else um, that like is good during the pandemic, but like for sure eases traffic um, and is better for the environment um, that it would, uh, we would sort of keep that, that really powerful momentum going. Uh, and in some ways we have, um, but there's, there's been setbacks as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like the, the pandemic, like, well, it really did explode in terms of cycling. Um, I came back just prior to the pandemic from living in Asia and, you know, I was part of huge cycling groups there. And then all of a sudden, I came back to Canada and into a place like Ottawa where I thought, you know, people just don't bike. There's no road bikers and stuff. Cause I remember 15 years ago, there weren't many. And mm-hmm. also I was like, Holy crap, there's a lot of cyclists out there. And, and then COVID happened and the numbers even went bigger, you know, and higher. And, and, and I think, as you mentioned here in the Gatineau park uh, in Ottawa, they closed the Gatineau park to, to road traffic for like, I think it was four and a half days of the week and then weekends it was open to car usage as well. Um, but we had a lot of pushback, not just from motorists, but like there was somebody here in Chelsea who was arguing against the road closure saying it discriminates against um, less able-bodied people. And, you know, as soon as somebody calls that out, like there's not much you can say as, uh, you know, we're in a pretty liberal left country you know the way the attitudes are now and like what do you say to that like because you're like well but overall it's still better to have those roads closed a lot more people are out biking and we understand that there's you know uh 
there's going to be a little bit of an impact. And but it was a really tough conversation, and it wasn't going well. It just came people like shouting at each other. Um, I think I think the minute your your argument is that for equity and for accessibility, we need people to have access to individual automobiles um, to fire to ferry themselves individually. Well, that's that like is not equitable. You know, certainly mm-hmm. we can figure out ways um, that the community can work together, um, with transit options and and and, and, and they public did just support. That. Yeah. yeah, you know, if you're if you're telling me that to increase, you know, uh, folks who are less able-bodied um, into the park, we need everybody to jump in their Santa Fe to come down. Like that's that just ain't it. Yeah, and they've and they've done. I mean, it took a year. That was the problem. Is you know they didn't have a plan for that. I think that first year where they closed it. And then there was this huge pushback. But then by the mm-hmm. second year, you know, they had uh, shuttle bus services up to the different parking lots and the lookouts. And I think now they even have e-bikes that um, less able-bodied people or older people can rent. Or not even rent. Sorry, they're free if you, you go and you can show that you have a need, I guess. So it's just not some random kid just going and saying, I want an e-bike, you know. Um mm-hmm. But they've even gone that route. So it seems like there's a lot going on. Um, but there's still complaints, but it's kind of died down a bit. Um, what were some of the situations like in Toronto? Because I think they wasn't high, high, is it called High Park? Wasn't it partially closed for a while or something? Yeah, so I, th- I think we can learn a lot from you folks, like it, or from the Gatineau Park, um, for what, what is still ongoing at High Park in Toronto. Um, you know, during the pandemic, I think I've got my history right here. Uh, is they they shut it down on weekends to cars um, as a, like a test case, mm. um, and and that worked really well. Um, and uh, and so there's like discussions like how do we how do we look into this further and, and make it maybe completely um, car free. Um, it's because High Park, the way it's situated in the city, it's kind of used as like a thoroughway um, for for people that know. Um, okay. From, between you know roads and bypassing this kind of stuff so it's not great um <clears throat> but there's a big study going on right now to to sort of figure out um tra- solutions and what kind of park we're gonna have you know mm-hmm. yeah and, and it, sorry go ahead so. i was just gonna say um yeah i mean for for me personally i live in chelsea and it's it's amazing to be so close to the park you know the parkway and even this autumn, when I started my parental leave, I would take my daughter in the chariot up to Champlain Lookout. And I knew because there was billboard signs, you know, those electronic billboards there that'll give you warnings for whatever. And it would say roadways open at one o'clock, just so you're aware. Or maybe it was mm-hmm. noon. But anyways, whatever time it was. And so I knew I like, OK, I just need like an hour and 15 minutes to cycle up the mountain and then about 20 minutes to get down. And I just have to beat the cars, you know? So that way I'm not really worried about the cars and having a baby behind me and stuff. And it's perfect. Like, how much better could it be? Yeah, um, exactly. And, and like you, you and, and, or maybe not you, but like a lot of people wouldn't, without those like car-free options, uh, it really limits the number of people who will use the space, you know? Um, we talked to plenty of people who like, will go to high park to even just like with their kids learn how to how to ride when right. it's car free um but um if you got people flipping through there down to the gardener or or, or even to little league practice 
um, in their Land Rover, it's uh, it's not exactly the best place for, for learning this cycle. Yeah, and people that are using it as a shortcut are usually going pretty quick too because they're trying to see how much time they can cut off of their commute. So I think that, you know, with the idea that it's a shortcut, people are going to just accelerate faster. Exactly. It's like the study this summer was like the, the city's own data was like 87% of motorists who go through there do not obey the speed limit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I know you alluded earlier to take, started taking your bike just to avoid the traffic and the public transit. Like how much faster is it really to ride a bike in Toronto than to, you know, well, take other means? Driving a car in the city, which I do do sometimes, um, begrudgingly, is horrific. You know, it can it can be really bad. We got four seasons of construction. Um, <laughs> we got uh, condos on top of condos and like tens of thousands of people in small areas uh, where infrastructure just simply hasn't caught up. Mm-hmm. You know, you're putting up these huge towers and giving people places to live. Great, but not the infrastructure isn't changing, you know? Right. Um, so you, 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 traffic is, 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 is pretty maddening. Um, so where, what I can do on a bike, um, you just, you, you wouldn't do in a car, you know, I was like, today I had to return something downtown midday. I'm like, there's no chance I'm doing that in my, in my car, you know? Right. Do you live downtown or are you, uh, I do, yeah. We uh, we've always lived sort of in the in a condo on a there. condo. Uh, at, at some point, now now we're in a in a in a house on top of a house. So, oh, nice. Um, no, we live downtown, and uh, we actually live right behind my office. So, uh, um, so that's convenient. Not yeah. not for the, the bike commute has suffered, but uh, um, but it's convenient for me getting more work done. Yeah, and do you got and you said you you did say you guys have a car, right? So you you do own a car. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean. Uh, the car is king in Ontario, and uh, you, you you need it for a lot of a lot of things. Um, my mom lives in Guelph. My dad's still up in Collingwood, so I'm always uh, going to see them. Uh, and we did a ton of uh, bike races this summer uh, as sponsors and participants. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so we had to get out there um, to bring our tents and all that stuff yeah, and bikes. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's kind of necessary. So big car, got it? Uh- <laughs> no, no, it's not. It, it's no. just jam. <laughs> just jam packed. Um, yeah, I know. I started meeting people here in Ottawa, which to me, Ottawa is the most least like. I, I don't feel like I feel like in Toronto you can get by without a car, you know, relatively easily. There's really good options with public transit, bicycle. You know, bicycles always go to. But Ottawa, I never felt that. But I've started meeting mm-hmm. people that have been car free for years and years, and or so one guy is like over twenty years, and I'm like, my god. How do you do it? But but they do. He's like, I use a cargo bike, an electric one, mm-hmm. in the winter, and that's how I go get groceries and stuff. And I'm like, all right, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you're just putting the money somewhere else, but also it's costing way less in the end, you know. T- totally. We I've met through um, the the work we do with the Toronto Bike Brigade a lot of folks who like have cargo bikes and and they've gone car free, like you've said, and uh, um, it's re- really eye opening, you know. Yeah, Quebec has recently. Um, they have a $2,000, um, it's like a mail-in rebate program, I guess, if you buy an electric cargo bike, but it's only for mm. companies okay. who have a need. But it's like, come on, if you just put that out to people too, though, 
people will go that route and probably get rid of a car because they have that option, you know, and think of how much better that is for the environment. Like, why do you just leave it to companies? You know, kind of, I think that's a, it's great, but it's a little bit dumb. It's, it doesn't go far enough. That two, uh, that $2,000 credit would really help me buy a, a bullet for sure. Yeah. Get a battery, an extra battery with it and everything. You'd be sweet. <laughs> I would, I would like, like to think that I would try acoustic, but, uh, but some of those bikes are pretty big and in the winter time, you know? Yeah. They can be pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I've seen a lot of your social media posts and I know that there, to me, it seems like there's a lot of anger against cyclists in Toronto, maybe Toronto particularly, maybe cause that's like, you know, your posts and or I see the, the lawyer posts and some of the stuff, uh, is, is it prevalent in Toronto or is it just a minority or what, what's your take on that? I would say it's Ontario wide. Um, we, it, it's not, and it's not, it's deeper than anti-cyclist. Uh, you know, it's like, we have like some toxic masculinity in our prevalence in our society that like really okays treating people poorly mm -hmm. um, and celebrates sort of um, all the, all the wrong things. Um, and, and that like that filters down every, in every, in every way. I um, mean, so it certainly filters down in bikes into, into cycling. Um, and it's like um, it, 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 we're easy targets. Mm -hmm. uh, we're out there. We're super vulnerable. Um, we are having a much better time, um, than the person in the motor vehicle. Yeah. Um, we're sneaking around them in traffic and, um, and, and you, you may, you may slam on that gas and speed by me, but you're going to stop at that stoplight and I'm going to catch up and we're going to keep going all that way. Um, there's that, and there's something about like when people get behind the wheel that, um, you know, you lose, you lose community and you, 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 you totally in collective safety and you're, you're entirely focused on individual need. Um, and like getting, you, you will do some crazy shit. I hope I can swear oh, yeah. to get, to get to Costco on time. Like you will break some rules that could potentially really injure people. Yeah. Um, and that's like the only people only do that when they get behind the car, you know? Yeah. hundred um, percent. And, and it's, it's not Toronto. It's everywhere. Like, uh, a young cyclist in London, Ontario, reached out to me a day or two ago. Um, road violence uh, experience caught on video. We're talking to CBC London about it. Um, my dad and I bike up in Collingwood all the time. Um, and uh, we get purposely close past um, by seemingly black pickups every every was, time. Was I that you there. that had a video recently? Was that your own video? I think you... You posted a video. I, I of had a video of a close in Toronto pass. of a yeah. guy getting out of the car and freaking losing his 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 mind That's on me one, for, yeah. for no particular reason. Um, but that happens in Collingwood. It happens in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, unfortunately, it's uh, it's all over the place here. I think we're a little like, lucky here in Ottawa because it's such a government city that um, a lot of the people are still working from home. So. It, you know, the roads are not nearly as busy as they were in 2019. Still, uh -huh. um, there's talk of making, you know, federal employees go back to the office, which I don't know if that's good or bad. I think it's just just they're just doing that because they're paying rent and it's empty. And they're figuring that I think that, well, if we're going to pay rent, people should be sitting at a desk. So, um, right. But yeah, it seems to be not. 
I haven't had too many incidents, but I've seen a few. And, you know, mm-hmm. there have been incidents where um, even I chased down a pickup truck that just about pushed a guy off the road. And then when I took out my phone and told him I'm going to call the cops, he booted it out of there, you know, um, because he knew he was in the wrong and things like that. Yeah, yeah you know, like I can remember back as early, like as early as high school and like my buddies, we would bike home from each other's places. Um, and my one friend, Fule, um, who's an, a non-white guy, had like coffees thrown at him and stuff on the bike. You I remember know, that like, kind of stuff too, yeah. Um, it's kind of It's kind of there. Um, I've seen it spike a bit during the, after the pan, during the sort of tail end of the pandemic as it, as it were. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you, did you, if you noticed that, because I feel like everybody, you know, mentally, mm-hmm. um, emotionally, everything, like we just kind of lost a little bit more touch to with one another that, you know, I think people's aggression levels were higher with unexpected situations. People are under an incredible, incredible amount of strain and stress because of the pandemic, and you know, um, r- real or imagined, um, and uh, and I I see that borne out on the streets. You know, you can it's palpable. Um, people's anger, frustration, and uh, um, selfishness. You know, um, it's, it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think with the like like you said, we like. Um, with the numbers of anxiety or angst against cyclists, possibly that being the right word, growing, I mean, and even if it's just by a small minuscule percentage or even a part of a percentage with, you know, the multiple, multi, uh, whatever, with the, the, so, the fact that there's so many more cyclists on the road now too, it's just going to lead to more and more events and, and some of them are going to be um, catastrophic or fatal, right? For, for sure and, and we've we we represent some of those folks you know and um it's uh it's pretty it's it's pretty pretty dire and and it's we we all need to change but we we definitely need direction from above uh and we're not <clears throat> getting that um we're not getting the leadership we need on road safety um and and without that people are still are going to continue to be injured um, and, uh, and harmed and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And, and, you know, you, our, our leaders always talk about got to save money and got to the economy and this and that. And like the, the amount of money saved, um, the amount of money that an injured person costs on the system, healthcare, policing, um, employers, family, community dwarfs the cost of a few bollards in a bike lane. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if you keep people safe, like, yeah, it might upset some folks and it's going to cost some money up front, but doing these things, um, saves, saves our system money. Um, you know, changing laws and stuff, maybe it may have a little bit of a political impact uh, on you, but long-term for our society, it's, uh, it's necessary. Yeah. And I was going to ask you that, like, what has been the approach of the authorities, uh, regarding, you know, hostile drivers and stuff? Have they, has it in ideal like are they really like are are they i know that probably i saw a smirk on your face um i know that there's a lot of goods and bads and then we're obviously not calling out all cops as uh not doing their part but what has been the approach yeah interesting um yes there's some there are some good police officers out there you know um 
what we know is that as of 2015, um, Toronto Police admitted um, to not enforcing traffic violations anymore. Um, and that created a ground, like that, that it created a, a huge amount of problems. What do you mean? Um, they just uh, not enforcing traffic violations. You got to expand on that. Does that mean anything like speeding? Um, they were not, they were not putting boots on the ground and they okay. were not handing out tickets. Um, they claimed, uh, they, they just weren't doing it. Uh, they claimed they didn't have the money or the manpower, blah, blah, blah. We like pay these guys a billion plus dollars a year, more than anybody, you know? Um, and, and if they don't have the money, then then like, okay, let's go some, to some automated solutions. Um, we ought to take this out of their hands anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we know since then that they have like turned turned a blind eye to what's going on on the roads. Um, and this summer, um, okay, I deal with police on a case-by-case basis, and some of them are really helpful to cyclists that get injured. Uh, but this summer we saw a pattern um, a- amongst the Toronto police in, in targeting uh, cyclists um, in-, in really unhelpful ways. Um, and-, and that was butch- buttressed by support from our, our mayor. Okay. Um, and uh, it just created a terrible narrative, um, created angst and anger between groups to people when, you know, we should have been working together. Um, you, you, you can't just say everybody's got to be safe, you know, for sure they do that. That's obvious. Um, but you have to direct language and resources at the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. And it isn't cyclists running stop signs. It is motorists, um, killing and maiming people in, in the thousands. Um, their own data shows 17,000 to six. That's the number of killed or seriously injured people caused by motorists versus cyclists uh, since 2012. 17,000 okay. to six. That's crazy. And you're handing out tickets for stop signs? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. That's really interesting. Yeah. And and it's not it's not just here. It's not just here. Up in Collingwood in 2017 or 2018, you had the Collingwood Cycling Club getting a bunch of tiffs uh, with the, the police uh, up there. Um, and, uh, and, and you, you see OPP blitz campaigns here and there across the province to, uh, targeting cyclists. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like you said, if, if starting in 2015, they stopped giving traffic violations, why all of a sudden are they giving violations to, to cyclists? Like the least likely to injure somebody of the road users. I mean, not as least, I guess pedestrians are the most, uh, those that are walking, but they they said it's, well, we got community complaints from the park, um, from park users about cyclists whipping through there too fast. Sure. Fine. Fair enough. Um, you know, the solution shouldn't have been to send cops after them. Um, but I can tell you in the last month I've submitted two complaints to the police about drivers, um, one guy on his phone who close past me and rolled a stop sign. Uh, I have it on video and I, I, I had that for them as well. I saw and that another one. guy who got out of his vehicle mid traffic in the middle of the road and started threatening me uh, after he had close past me. And, th- and then he ran a red light and I, I submitted that to the Toronto police. Um, and I, they never even responded to me. Okay. Um, so if we're, if we're dealing with community complaints here, you know, it seems a bit one-sided. And do you have just like a GoPro ready to go or how's that work? In the winter time, 
uh, because it's a bit more gnarly um, and people like, I don't, they, they should expect to see cyclists out there, but they don't. Um, so I, I mounted on my helmet um, and, uh, and, and part of it is to catch it, catch um, anything that happens to me. Mm. Um, but the other part is deterrence. Yeah. That guy hopped out of the car uh, last week, and uh, I, he probably would have cut, like tried to give me a punch if I if I didn't have that camera on yeah. there, you know. Interestingly, yeah. uh, completely little side thing, but I recently was reading an article, and it was talking about how a company has created a way to use your cell phone because a lot of people have mounted on the dash of their car, and they've mm-hmm. created an app um that's not just like a google maps type thing but it also runs a video the video camera in the background and keeps always like four twenty up to four 20 minute videos at a time and then just automatically deletes the last one so yeah. if you're driving and you have an incident it it'll have it on video um you know something like that with a chest mount or some kind of mount where you have the the phone mounted on your body would be amazing because now you don't need to, you know, have your GoPro and be turning it on and off, but you could just have your phone running. Of course, it drains battery more, but um, such a cool thing. I forget what the name of the app is, unfortunately. Um, well, please send that to me if, if you, I can if find it. Yeah. it again. It's it, the video in 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 our cases um, can be game changing. Mm-hmm. Um, can really be game changing because uh, it's not just the police; it's the courts, insurance yeah. companies, and juries. Uh, that have um, anti-cyclist views, you know? Yeah, in the same um, way, though, that for, like, cars, too. My my <sighs> sister-in-law is now, you know, she immigrated to Canada, and she's working um, with an insurance company as one of the telephone claims people, and she's like, just having that video as a driver, it changes everything so many times because you can show you are not, you know, liable where something might yeah. have happened, where now, now a lot of insurance companies are saying, well, there's – everybody's liable for themselves or some kind of bullshit, you know, but, uh, no, uh, automobile drivers ought to have them too, for sure. Um, yeah. you know, you, I, like I said, I drive like on the 401, if I'm recording some of the stuff that I see there, holy crow. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. We, we know that, uh, you did, you know, you said the police, their approach to, to enforcement and traffic has not been ideal. I think, like you mentioned, automating some stuff. Quebec, I used to hate it because you're driving to Quebec and on all of a sudden on the, you know, the, the big highways, the, the 40, the 20, whatever, they would have cameras in some spots. But those cameras were static, so they were always in the same place. So if you're going to speed, you just speed and then slow down before the camera. Not a big deal, especially in the age of ways and whatnot. Uh, but now something they do, which is really cool, um, they have areas so where where there's a chance of higher incidents they have they have areas and it says you know you're in a camera zone where there may be a camera and they have vans that are set up with um radars and cameras and they just move them around these different zones i don't even know how many they have but you could just be coming and all of a sudden there's the van and you're like damn it i was speeding (laughs) you know yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's good because it kind of makes you think, oh, crap, I'm in the zone. I better slow down. And even though the van might not be there 90 percent of the time, do you want to risk your, you know, losing points and paying tickets yeah. for that other 10 percent? Yeah, it's really um, I, I, lo- I it's funny because like in the 90s, they had those vans in Ontario and we 
collectively lost our minds. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. how dare you photo radar us? But like now, like having done this, this kind of work a fair bit, and like seeing how terribly injured people get um, because of speed mm-hmm. and 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 not paying attention, um, like wow, put these things everywhere. You know, um, we can't. Our roads are falling apart. Great, put some speed cameras there. Let's raise some money and fix them back up. Um, we have the one in. Uh, in Toronto um, uh, on Parkside Drive, which is adjacent to the uh, High Park um, and where some folks have, have passed, um, got killed last year. Um, they've got a incredibly lucrative camera there. That's like the, the, the highest um, tickets handed out in the city. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's just incredible. Um, you got to do that stuff. And although now they've got all this data and like, Oh yeah, we're getting tons of speeding tickets here. People are still speeding. And it's like, okay, now you have to change the infrastructure to stop that, um, to make it safer. But they're they're like, well, they just like, they've got all this data, but they don't know what to do with it. You know, they don't want to like actually do anything in Toronto. Do they have a speed cameras outside of schools, like in the school zones? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. So Ontario, Ottawa has started doing that too. And, um, I thought it was a little ironic though that they installed them on July 1st of, I think it was last year or the year before, year before. And, you know, they said it's to slow people down in school zones. So when kids are there, it's safer. But they ran the cameras the whole summer and made about a million bucks. And <laughs> so I'm like, well, if the whole purpose was for the school zone when kids are in school, why didn't you wait till September to start them, you know? But hey, whatever. <laughs> They made their money. Then they bought more cameras. (laughs) Hey, you know, uh, you're not going to, I'm not going to be here sitting saying you should be speeding. No, exactly. (laughs) Um, I, I've, I haven't sped through the area. So, Hey, that doesn't matter. Just heard. Yeah. Yeah. Just heard. I've, I know I have definitely, uh, there was articles talking about how much money, because of course, if, you know, they made their money and people are like, why did they have cameras on in the summer? And when it's meant for school, you know? Um, so would you, I guess, um, I was going to ask if you think police have been more of an ally or an adversary, but I guess it's not, it's not individual cops, but I think it's like the upper echelons of the forces or the province, right? The just political bodies at work. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I I, 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 what I, what I meant was that uh, there are some individual cops who do a good job, um, or, 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 are, are fine, fine public servants. Um, but I think as a system, uh, it's deeply flawed. Um, you know, we know that there are huge, um, uh, anti-black, anti-indigenous mm-hmm. race problems with the police. Um, and, uh, and, and until until those kind of things are addressed, um, until uh, inequities in policing are addressed, if if at all possible, um, then I don't think the cycling community can see uh, police as an ally. Mm. Um, members of our own community are targeted uh, disproportionately in in, in in very unfair ways. Mm-hmm. And what do you think? Uh, like, what are some of the what are what are some of the other obstacles standing in the way of safe cycling in Toronto? And I don't mean like no pun intended by obstacles, but I guess that's one of them. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Um, y- you know, it's it's such like a multi pronged approach, Chris. Mm-hmm. You can't one thing isn't like 
yeah you know like we can't in enforcement being like aces and and police doing a fantastic job ain't, ain't gonna do it you know we've got to be hitting on all fronts um and and it starts uh at the provincial parliament and they need to pass the former vulnerable road users act uh, which is now the moving ontarians safely act at its fourth reading uh and this like creates real penalties um for when you do injure somebody in your vehicle um of uh license suspension for for serious periods of time um driver retraining community service uh and things like that R right now you know the the old adage is if you want to kill somebody you do it in your car um because uh you you really get a slap on the wrist uh, i was telling the someone a story about my client in guelph who a motorist ripped across four lanes of traffic including a bike lane uh, to get into McDonald's um, and hit my guy, um, shattered his hip, had to get a hip replacement. Jeez. The guy, guy got a $100 ticket. You know, and, and my guy, you know, will walk differently for the rest of his life. Um, how is it that you can irrevocably change someone's life, um, cause harm to someone uh, in Ontario? And, and the only thing is a slap on the wrist. Um, in no other context in our society would that happen, except for if you're driving. Mm -hmm. So we need to, like, people need to understand driving is a privilege and not a right. Yeah. And so they, you do something wrong, you drive dangerously or negligently, it's going to come with real consequences. You're not going to be able to do that again. Um, so we need to do that from the top. Uh, municipal governments need to work on public education and consistent infrastructure. Um, we need safe and segregated bike lanes, but we also like, it's also got to make sense. I mean, it's got to be consistent. Like you can go to like three different corners within a couple blocks from me. Um, and the, it's different. The, the bike lane, how it interacts with the oh, intersections. Yeah? Oh, yeah. How, how is that? Like that as a motorist, like I feel for you folks, you know, like uh, it's confusing. Um, so we, we've really got to, to do better at that, uh, be consistent and safe in our infrastructure. Yeah. One um, standard way that, you know, it could even be taught in driver's classes. Like this is how, you know, it could be in the driver's handbook. This is how bike lanes and interactions happen. And at least until they come up with a better way and then they can update their stuff, but now it's all digitized anyways. So that's exactly it. I, th I think that there is some cycling stuff in the new driver's, um, manuals although i'm not 100 percent sure um in any event there ought to be more um and uh and ongoing mm -hmm. um education public awareness and things like that um yeah it can't just be sort of flippant or or or, or not non-existent um and and then you know we can turn to automated solutions like you're talking about new york's doing this thing right now where citizens can report people parking in bike lanes and if a ticket is issued by the city they get a percentage of it oh it's like whoever reports it first i heard i saw i saw a video on that yeah. saying you could literally ride your bike around the city and make money this is incredible um yeah. uh, so like things like that ought to be considered you know um you know it's, so that's like a really on the ground kind of practical thing um all that stuff working together will help. Um, but we've got to also change our mindset and, mm. uh, and, and think about 
collective community safety when we get behind the wheel. Uh, and like I said, not just getting to Costco on time. Yeah. I think the mindset's probably the, like one of the biggest, um, I'll bring up my my own father in conversation here, but he uh, he's very much like me. He'll always try to play the devil's advocate just for the piss of it. Um, but, you know, one day we're talking and he starts going off about, like, you know, why did these cyclists think that they own the road? And I said, well, they totally don't. Like, most cyclists are pretty respectful of the rules. And he's like, but they always roll through the stop signs. I said, yeah, but so do cars, you know? <laughs> I said, statistics and research has shown that like 70% of the cars do rolling stops. So what's more dangerous, a car doing a rolling stop or a bike doing a rolling stop? You know, I said probably neither really dangerous if the drivers are aware, but I said to get pissed off at a cyclist because he rolled through a stop sign and pulled the right turn. His impact, if he fucks up is pretty minimal and you know, it's a lot different for a car in the instance of the, the pickup truck, the F-250 or whatever, the big-ass truck last week, um, you know, and it killed somebody. Uh, yeah. The impact there is much bigger. And then, of course, my dad's like, yeah, well, you know, cars were built, the roads were built for the cars, not for cyclists. I was like, what the, f-? you know, like, obviously he was out just trying to piss me off and it was working, but uh, so I had to just stop the conversation. But, you know, that it shows that the mindset is there and there are people that will, you know, he probably somewhat believes what he says, but he's also not the kind of guy that would go and run somebody off the road. So he's he's a very easygoing in that sense. He's not an aggressive driver, but not everybody is like that. Some people have that mm-hmm. mindset plus aggressive driverness, whatever the word would be, uh, a level of aggression and just can lead to like deadly encounters, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um and you know it's super complex i think uh you know if there was an easy solution we'd uh to to sort of um what i suggest is 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 mostly in toxic male violence we would we would have solved a lot of other problems more pressing than than uh than than you know anti-cyclist behavior um but uh but i do think that like the deterrent stuff would would work a bit there if these guys know that okay, this guy got a video of me running him off the road and police are going to take away my license and maybe my car. Um, Because that person certainly shouldn't be driving. Um, But all that they're going to get is a phone call. um, Hey, you know, you probably shouldn't do this. Yeah. Um, Trying to be safe next time, you know. Like this kid in London, um, he, the driver was being erratic on residential streets um, and he went after him on his bike to get his license plate and sort of pulled up beside him, got his license plate and was like, careful, man. And the guy like lost his mind, called and, and almost hit him, called, called the police to report it. And, and they victim blamed him. They're like, well, you know, you really shouldn't be chasing after people. Um, that's not, that's no different than, well, I mean, different, but not different. Um, you know as women and how they dress and when something bad happens and saying it's your fault, you know? Yeah. There, there's certain, there's certainly analogies to that mm. um, with the like high biz. Uh, if you, you weren't where you didn't have your bike lights on, you know, kind of thing. But uh, mm. yeah. Um, so tell us a bit about what you do. Um, you know, we didn't really go into depth in that in the start, but as the biking lawyer, you've kind of, dedicate yourself to well why don't you tell us i can't really <laughs> no, no, that's, that's totally cool yeah we um we've been doing this for a while now um 
but opened our doors formally on January 1st, 2020. And uh, what we are, Chris, is a personal injury law firm that specializes uh, in helping injured cyclists. Um, we something that we're passionate about, that we're personally committed to and, uh, and, and have personal experience in. Um, I've been hit by a, a motor vehicle in a bike lane, uh, didn't indicate and right hooked me and I broke my wrist and my elbow. Mm. Um, so I've had to, and then had to navigate the system, the insurance systems after that. So um, we come with personal and professional experience to try and help cyclists through what's really a difficult time. Um, and push back against um, insurance companies, police forces, um, you know, what have you that that try and continually cast blame on on cyclists when we know nine times out of ten it's it's not their fault. Um, so we do we do that. Uh, we focus like we we do help individual cases, right? But um, we're always and that's why you see our such a social media presence. We are like community focused as well we want to share knowledge prepare people like let people be aware of their rights prepare them for if the unfortunate occurs or if they witness that happening to somebody else um you know knowledge is power we think so so equip equip folks with it um and uh and the whole goal being to push for um safe safe cycling and safe streets um all the time you know if if we can put ourselves out of a job because we've we've like changed the laws and 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 and, and push people to to treat vulnerable road users um with a level of decency that's that's necessary uh well then that'd be great mm-hmm. but until then we're gonna kick ass yeah well i mean there's no you're a lawyer so it's not like you know if all of a sudden the world became perfect and cyclists weren't uh getting uh smashed by cars there's other kinds of law you could do. So, <laughs> well, I think that's like what 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 we try and differentiate ourselves with is we're we're not just like here like hey you're hurt call Bill McDirt or something you know um, we're like we're proven commitment to the community like we actually care about this mm-hmm. it's not just about it's not just about making money um, it's it's about equipping our, our, our cycling community and, um, and helping people in need. Yeah. And, and I've, and I see you've been very present throughout, um, you know, yeah, particularly in these last couple of years, I guess, since you guys have officially launched the Viking lawyer and, uh, you know, you're a sponsor of Hurton and Halliburton, you've been involved in a few other events. Um, you know, what, what do you do when you're there and what's the, what's the goal? Is it just awareness to just to talk to people about, you know, when the inevitable, possibly happens be aware of your rights or what like what's uh what's the deal yeah we i mean we of course want people to know about us and use our services um so that if something unfortunate happens you call us because we're going to handle it properly Mm -hmm. um but at all these events we're giving away our crash cards um which is like a yeah tell us about those how to if um if you're involved in a collision the the the, the few things you need to take down that are critical pieces of information. And we actually got a QR code on there that links to an online report where you put all that stuff in. Um, so it, it's about getting people aware of us, um, but also sharing that info that I was saying. Um, and yeah, we do a lot of these uh, bike races and stuff and um, hand out a ton of crash cards. 
And we did a big um, cycling shop campaign too, where we put those in cycling shops across the province. Oh, good. But we also we also um, do know your rights workshops for free to cycling organizations and clubs. Um, tons of them. And just uh, just booked another one in Guelph uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, so we're all over the place, um, and and that's that's kind of like what we've talked a bit about here is like if the unfortunate occurs, this is what you do. Um, and, and these are some of the things in your community that maybe would work for advocacy, which we've, which we've done, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's those kind of discussions. Nice. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I do get that you're a lawyer and you know, you are, it's also your living, but at the same time, what I've, what I found really interesting was that you're so involved in the cycling community and, you know, you're not, not your typical ambulance chaser, (laughs) you know, Um, that. So that's what that's what I've seen first and foremost is just at different events and um, you know you're you're there you're cycling you're talking you're you're you are a cyclist so it's it's nice to see um, and also just to hear from your experience living in the big city and, and and you know seeing how things are and you know I'm fortunate in a sense to live in Chelsea but also the Ottawa areas got. They're, 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 I feel like they're leaps and bounds ahead in terms of cycling infrastructure. There's definitely room for improvement, but, you know, we have the river and there's huge bike paths along both sides of the river and then through the Gatineau Parkway. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different routes and they're, they're pretty safe. So, I mean, there's definitely ways to make the access to the routes better, but uh, mm-hmm. it's coming, you know, slow and steady, I think. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. My, my my business partner Joel, uh, he spent he's been spending a bunch of time in Ottawa, and he wrote an article just like praising it. You know, oh yeah, uh, for cycling, um, because like he's biked with me in Toronto a lot, um, and so he's like Ottawa is fantastic, and, and he meant in comparison, uh, but the 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 community in Ottawa is like, let's hold on a second here. We got some we got some things yeah. we need to work on. Well, like like you said, I think it's the standardization of how they approach intersections. You know, it's not standard everywhere. And, um, you know, and accidents happen because they have advanced green for cyclists and walkers, but then the traffic is sitting, but sometimes they don't know they should sit or they're not paying attention. And, you know, sometimes shit happens. And, you know, <laughs> to not use the word accidentally, but, you know, the driver's not being aggressive or trying to be an asshole, but just things can be confusing, you know, when things aren't standard, like you said. So um, I think that's where the biggest problems is. Or sometimes they'll have like bike lanes that are curving around ballards and weird, weirdly done, you know, so that if you're going much faster than a walking pace, there's a chance that you could hit it and crash or something, you know, so. Yeah, we've got some of those too, unfortunately. And um, has, I mean, is it just, are things poorly designed? Because I see a lot of pictures in Toronto with um, delivery trucks parked over the bike lanes. Is there just no other options? Is that kind of what it's led down to? Or what's, what's why? Like, I wouldn't say there's no other options. I mean, uh, there's probably less economical options um, to park safely. Um, we, we, we know pretty well um, that... Uh, incurring fines for parking uh, is just a cost of doing business for these mm-hmm. companies. Um, and so they'll park in bike lanes um, and get a ticket, get a dozen tickets. Who, who cares, you know, um, as long as their packages are getting um, delivered on time. Unfortunately, um, that means that 
cyclists have to merge with car traffic and, and collisions do happen there. Um, we've got at least two such cases uh, where a bike lane was blocked and emerging cyclists got clipped. Um, so there's got to be some movement on that issue too. Um, we, 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 again, we have to like prioritize the economic interests of huge multinational companies and, <laughs> um, and, and let that jive with um, citizen safety, you know? Yeah. And I think another problem, like when I think of, you know, Amazon or something, a lot of times when they come in this neighborhood, they're just driving a random rental vehicle. It's not even like a, a labeled Amazon delivery truck. You know, if they're going to be, maybe they need flashing lights as well, some certain color for whatever, just, you know, to, to raise awareness that they're, they're there. And, you know, if I'm driving down the road and I see this flashing lights of an Amazon delivery truck or any delivery truck for that matter, yeah. it will make me more aware of what's going on and I'll be paying attention to the surroundings more. So I'm more likely to see that cyclist who's trying to work his way around that vehicle where... If it's just a random yeah. car pulled up in a snowbank, and you you know you might not be paying attention or whatever, you know. Yeah, you, you like expect a delivery truck that's marked as such to to make erratic moves, you know, and do quick stops and this and that. Um, and whereas like a just some guy's minivan, you, you don't, you know. Yeah. So for sure, I think um, things like. Um, Uber and, uh, and, and, and less centralized delivery services, like while good for like creating jobs and things like that, um, need to be better regulated. Um, there needs to be standardization and rules and, uh, training and things like that, um, to, to sort of make it safer. Yeah. Good point. Um, anything else you want to add that I, I might not have touched on? Well, you know, we've, we've talked up, we like these, these things often, like we talk a bit of doom and gloom, um, a fair bit. Uh, and I just like, I want to say that, yes, it's not, it's nuts out there. Uh, it can be nuts out there. Um, but cycling is a liberating force. Um, it's a liberating activity. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I hope to never say it, but you, you know, you can pry it from my cold dead hands. Yeah. Um, it makes me feel good. Um, at the end of the day, it's stressful at work. It helps me unwind before I get home. Um, it's something I share with my kid, uh, something I shared with my dad. Um, it's a fantastic way to get around. It's saving the environment. Um, it's equitable people, uh, of all, um, of all, genders classes races can can hop on a bike and ride um without without sort of the the standard economic impairment impediments that are are up there with so much so many other things um so you know we we love it um and and although we talk a lot of doom and gloom we we do love it very much and and part of what we do sharing that awareness keep, keeping people safe is so that more people will ride um more more butts on seats is always what we want yeah Absolutely. Well, David, I want to thank you again for coming to the show and um, sharing your your thoughts and about what you do and uh, what we all wish for and hope for. And um, we'll, we'll get him, Chris. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. You don't have to hang up, but I will end the recording. So thanks yeah. for being on the show and uh, talk soon. Sounds good. Bye.
There you have it. Thank you, David, for being on the podcast, sharing all your thoughts and, you know, kind of informing people around the world of like what it's what the situation is like here in Canada. By far, I don't think it's the worst, but it's still not ideal, right? I mean, I guess the ultimate goal is to to have people be respectful of bikes, kind of like in Holland and maybe like Belgium and that region, because it seems to be way, way, way better developed than what we've got going on. So hopefully those improvements can come through, you know, the community development and whatnot that you're actively working with, as well as, uh, you know, um, the constant vocal, the voice of the people who are out there on bikes uh, demanding change. I think it's only through that where we actually uh, achieve anything. So thanks, David. And I do look forward to uh, seeing you again sometime in the the future. Uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but it uh, was so busy with the the rebrand announcement, but I have been sponsored by Panorama Cycles this season, and they are giving listeners of the podcast a 15% discount on the 2023 Panorama Chick Shocks, or I think it's pronounced Panorama Chick Shocks, uh, fat bike, which is a fantastic deal. So this is their carbon fiber fat bike. They are, I think 2016 was the first year of production. So now they are into their seventh year of the bike. They have refined it. It gets better and better. Um, you have either Shimano XT or SLX version. Um, I'm using the XT version. It's sweet. It's a 1x12 system with a dropper seat post. Really good tires that are studdable, so you don't have to buy a new set of tires. I mean, these are all really great things that cut down on your overall cost later. Plus, by saving 15%, that is all your taxes if you're here in Canada. And if you're in the U.S., probably covers more than your tax. So it's like six almost somewhere like 580 to 600 and something dollars. It's it's a really, really good deal. So use the code BTA15 to get that 15% discount on your new fat bike. And uh, don't let this winter hold you back. Or if you don't live somewhere with winter, take that thing to Baja, go hit the deserts. You'll just crush it and it'll be a blast. So hope to hear from people. If you do buy one, let me know. Uh, shoot me a picture with it and uh, give a little shout out. It'd be awesome to, to see that people are taking advantage of this offer. And uh, yeah, on that note, that is it. Time for the outro. And I guess which will also have to be changed because I think it says Bike Tour Adventures as well. So have a listen. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me to keep going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at chris at biketouradventures.com or go to the website biketouradventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and the touring tips page. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.
I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.